All right, welcome to Here for the Health of It. We have Rebecca Hodgson. Yes. Did I say that right? Yes. Yes. All right. And it is National Adoption Month. So we are having an adoption episode. So we're going to talk about all things adoption. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit too about um, your experience, about how we met. So, um, and then recently you had a, you were essentially rear ended by somebody in your 15 passenger van. Yeah. And they, and maybe tell that like story. Sideswiped. Sideswiped? Okay, yeah. tell the, yeah, to maybe tell the story. Yeah, it wasn't a T bone because it was a bigger vehicle. So it was more into the wheel well of the driver's side okay. door. So I was um, the driver and I had four of my kids in the car and I was going straight. Lady turned into me. Um, she was supposed to be yielding and um, hit the van. So uh, that's what brought me back to the chiropractor. Wow. And then, so as, as you were going through it, it was obviously her fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a police officer behind you. Directly behind her. Behind and her. And saw the whole accident. Yeah. And then, so it, for most people listening, that it seems like that should be just a cut and dry scenario where mm-hmm. it was her fault, clearly. The police officer saw it. And gave a statement. And gave a statement. So it seems like, and I know you talked about this a little bit too, it seems like it should just be obvious that their yeah. insurance company is going to take responsibility. They're no going to fix your car. Um, if anyone was taken to the hospital or whatever, yeah. those are going to be under the person's insurance company. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't really your experience. Not at all. <laughs> so what? What, hap- what happened? Um, I was assuming that I was in the right, obviously, because I knew that I was. So I gave statements to both the, both companies, insurance companies, um, just to be told by the opposing insurance company that it was my fault that I had drifted in the person's lane. In spite of the testimony and the damage of our vehicle and everything else. So, mm-hmm. um, and on top of it, we did have um, some injuries, which brought me back to the mm-hmm. chiropractor. Mm-hmm. As well. And that, so insurance companies essentially are trained in how to um, deny claims. Avoid liability. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you obviously don't get in a lot of car accidents, so you no. don't know all the rules and what it looks like. Yeah. Um, but you then essentially had to get the police officer involved. Mm-hmm. And then that still didn't work. And then you ended up having to get a lawyer involved as well. Yeah. And the accident report states that in no way was I at fault. And no way I could have been at fault because of the damage to my vehicle. Right. So, yeah, I think, and I think that's interesting for people to hear because I didn't know that either, that um, even if something seems obvious, it's not always obvious like that. And even often in our office, we'll tell people it's better off if you have a lawyer because they know all the rules, Mm -hmm. whereas you think the insurance company's playing nice, but they're not always playing nice. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So then tell us, and now everything's great. Do it. That's all dealt with. Um, and now you have um, this passion for adoption. Mm-hmm. And maybe tell us where that came from. Uh, ever since I was little, I always knew I wanted to adopt. It was just something that was inside of me, something that I always pursued and talked about even before I really knew what adoption was. Um, I always just had a heart for it. I'd read books about it. And um, when I got married to my husband and a couple years later, we were talking about it and we ended up adopting one private adoption. And that was kind of what we call the catalyst for all of our other adoptions. Um, But it's just a passion that he he always wanted to do, but he didn't um, think we would have this many. (laughs) So tell us where you're at now. We have 10 kids. Okay. Wow. Seven adoptions. Our seventh adoption actually finalizes on December 10th. So wow. we're finalizing our last. He's been with us for a while, but we're so, finalizing. So three biological, mm-hmm. seven adopted. Yes. And then what's the orders of how things happen? 
So we had our first son, um, and when he was a little over one, he was about one and a half, um, okay. we, um, I was babysitting. So long story short, um, during my babysitting adventures and people coming and dropping their kids off, I met this lady who asked to interview me to babysit her child. I did not know she was pregnant at the time. Um, through this story, um, she interviewed me a few times. She came to my house. Um, one day she asked to look at photo books. I found it odd. But um, about two weeks later, she said, I'm actually pregnant and I want you to adopt my child. And this was our first adoption, which is a private adoption. So um, we had no clue what to do. We, did, we knew we wanted to adopt, but we, didn't, we were not expecting it. My husband was in school, and we had a lot going on in our life at the time. Um, so we started looking into it. We got our home study done, and um, he told us you have to have a lawyer. So then we did all those steps, and he was born six weeks early. So about six weeks after we hired the lawyer, we brought him home. So. Wow. And so, so you're babysitting for someone. Yeah. They start snooping through your family <laughs> photos and then tell you they want you to raise Their the child. child. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we were not advertising to adopt. We, I was advertising to babysit, and I was. I was babysitting three or four kids at a time. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how it. Came, that's how this person met us. Um, but with this adoption, we have an open adoption. So that means that we keep in contact with the birth mom. We have a good relationship with her, and she's a really incredible person. So. And your first one is how old now? He's 10. He's 10. So this was nine years ago. Yeah. He'll be 11 in December. And what's the relationship been like with the mother, both from your perspective and then from the child's perspective? Yeah. Um, my son really loves her. Um, he has a great relationship. He does have autism. So, you know, his relationship is maybe different than some other kids with their birth parents. But um, he really enjoys being around her. Um, we make the effort to go see her. She makes the effort to come down and see us. So, um, yeah, we try to see each other at least once a year. And you're both you're both mom. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. to him yeah yeah all right and then second one um well while when i was in the hospital um with our son that was was we adopted and i was able to go and watch him be born um in the or um oh, wow. i came home thinking i was sick with the flu from being at the hospital for those many days um and i actually found out i was pregnant wow. so before my adopted son turned one we had another son wow. so um then we, we were with three kids under two um okay. So after uh, the lady that did our home study for that one adoption. Which maybe what's a home study? Okay. Home study is when your home needs to be inspected. You have to have fire inspections. You have to have background checks. Um, In order to adopt, you have to have a home study. Otherwise, it's just guardianship. Um, But if you're actually looking to adopt, you have to have a home study. It's usually the fees vary. If you go through DSS, it's free because you're going through the state to adopt foster children. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it's usually around $1,500, $2,000. And they do everything, present everything, say that you're ready for adoption, and then submit it to the lawyer. Wow. Yeah. So the lady that we had met, um, she was talking with us, and she was like, man, you really, you know, want to adopt that bad? And I was like, yeah, but we can never afford it. And that's kind of how that came up. And she actually ran, in addition to doing her own private home studies, a 501c3 called Adoption Advocacy. And um, she was like, but you don't have to afford it. Like, it's, it can essentially be free if you're adopting through the state, which we were completely unaware of. Wow. Um, so we were like, well, maybe in a year or two. And she's like, well, why don't you start now? Because it can take years to be matched. Um, and we started, and it took about three months. <laughs> it wasn't years. No, we wow. actually were first matched with two girls that did fall through. And then um, we were matched with two half-brothers. And the 501c3, mm-hmm. what, what does that nonprofit do? Um, they take their, it's kind of like a branch. They're not with DSS, but they place hard, they take hard to place children who have either been adopted and sent back, which is a terrible thing, but has happened yeah. or big sibling groups or special needs. They work with only children, um, that are considered special needs. The definition of special needs in foster care is, um, children over six years old 
um, children of color, um, over in sibling groups. Like there's just a whole different list of the kids that are going to get adopted first versus last. And they always take the kids that are harder to get adopted. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, or behavior or health concerns as well. Right. See, I would I would think that it was just behavioral or health concerns, but it's yeah. based on age and age race and, and, race everything. and everything. Wow. Mm-hmm. Number of siblings, um, number of history of siblings in foster care, all of that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you had your your adopt adopted son, then you had a biological son. Mm-hmm. Then what? Then we brought home two half brothers. Okay. So um, they were. So then we had all of five boys under six. And um, they were... Um, you had five boys under six? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were great. And we were like, okay, we're done. And it took about a year. And then we're like, you know what? We, we do want to have at least one more. That's what we said. And we were like, let's see if we get matched with a girl this time. And so you were making... I mean, sorry to cut you off, but you were—you must have been making food constantly. <laughs> yeah. Now more than then. Yeah. yeah. Five five kids, five boys. And were things getting broken? Yeah, that we my husband had a, made a big playground and fenced it in, and then we had a big wooded backyard. So they were always like hatcheting trees and you know going back there yeah. and building forts. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's real. They have a great relationship, and with the more kids, um, there's just always somebody to play with. To play like with. there really yeah. wasn't much fighting. Yeah, um, it seems like a ho- maybe a hockey team or a baseball yeah. team or something. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so then you got the two, and the two half brothers were how old? Um, one of them was three days once he got to us. He turned seven. So he was turning seven when um, we were matched with him. Um, okay. but his adoption didn't finalize until he was seven. Okay. Because um, usually they'll place them with you. Some states, um, all of our kids were adopted out of state. Um, because I'm a guardian ad litem, I cannot adopt within the state of South Carolina. Um, but um, all of our kids were adopted out of state, and different states have different laws. Like okay. some will make them stay with you for a year, and some will say six months, just to kind of make sure that the adoption but, will be successful. And and you had this one them for how long? These boys we had for three months. For three months, and then it became official. Yeah, okay. and we did have to sign an extra set of paperwork to finalize sooner. Yeah. Um, but they had already been um, adopted, and so this was a new situation, new home, and they wanted permanency quickly for them. Yeah. So. so it, was there a point then when you were thinking, I don't know what we got ourselves into, and I'm just so sleep-deprived and tired? Not yet, no. actually. I'm pretty high-strung and very organized and like to you know keep everything moving. And the five boys didn't really challenge me yet. Really? Um, so then the next adoption. Five boys, having five boys <laughs> under six was too easy, so now go easy. into number six. Yeah, so number six, if anybody has seen Instant Family. Have you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. With okay. Adam Sandler? Oh, no. Is it Mark? Uh, what's his Mark name? Wahlberg? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, I've so seen that too. There's this one video, I mean, the part in the video where he has a picture, and the caseworker says, and here's so-and-so, and they're like, oh, that's so cute. We can we can do that. We can bring her home. And then the caseworker's like, and here's the siblings. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly what happened right. to us. We had one girl that we were being matched with, and um, so we were like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then we found out that the home that the other girls were in was going to split them up. So we yeah. were like, well, we're taking all of them, or you know, none of them just cause we didn't want them split up. Um, so then we ended up with three, three more girls. <laughs> okay. So five boys, five boys, then three adopted three girls, girls mm-hmm. and their ages were what? Um, one, t- she turned six the day after we got her. So six, yeah. eight and 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that adoption was crazy because we did our home study expecting, cause we already had five kids and a lot of big families are often not chosen first because some of these kids come with some really big needs. Yeah. Um, so we thought it would be years cause we were like, well, we have five boys um, it was two days. Wow. We were matched in two days. Um. And I'm thinking of some people that I know who have <laughs> talked about wanting to adopt, but they essentially said, we've heard it's really hard to yeah. find a child and it takes a really long time. 
but I'm, what I'm hearing avenue. from you is yeah. it's the exact opposite where you get three in two days. Yeah, it depends on the avenue. So there's different avenues for adoption, and we were working with legally free children only. So kids that were ready to be adopted, there were no parental rights that need to be terminated. They didn't have any more court dates they had to go to, so yep. that's why we were quickly matched. And was that a decision that you guys made? We did after the boys uh-huh. um, because they had been adopted, and we knew that it would be confusing for them before we adopted them um, to see people coming and going and trying to explain to them that they were a permanent part of our family because um, they were younger, and then seeing yep. people come and go. Right. So we did okay. legally free. That makes sense. All right, so now you're at eight, mm-hmm. five boys, three girls. Yep. And then what happened? <laughs> then I got pregnant. <laughs> we were not trying to. Um, I actually try not to because I get so sick during my pregnancies. Um, but yeah, but he ended up being what we called the glue because he was the only kid. He's four. Um, he's the only kid that all the kids got to know from the very beginning. So it was kind of this really sweet relationship that they all, if you ask them their favorite sibling, it's all going to be that one. Um, but yeah, so it, he was really, we call him the glue. He yeah. was really good wow. piece of glue for everybody. And yep kind of bonded everybody get that have, have that same memory at the same time yeah so, cool yeah. okay and then and then this um during covid um i'm a guardian ad litem so i knew that there were kids um, and maybe maybe can you explain guardian ad litem okay so, for anybody listening yeah so guardian ad litem is a child advocate they're also known as casa a court-appointed special advocate and for me i advocate for kids in foster care and you go to the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. we go to court, um, sometimes advocating against what DSS is recommending um, because our interest is specifically the child. We don't have mm-hmm. the parents in mind. We don't have mm-hmm. DSS or systems in mind. We want yeah. the child to get the absolute best resources and what, best placement. Is there an example of that? Um, so if uh, I don't do the private cases like custody type battles, I do um, DSS is saying the child is not ready to go back home because of behavior problems. And I can say, well, I've, you know, read, because as a guardian litem, you have access to HIPAA, everything you can basically violate, everything because you're advocating for this mm-hmm. child. So I can say, well, a lot of their therapy notes are indicating that their behavior problems are coming from the trauma of being separated from the, their birth parents. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's advocating towards sending them back. And then in another case, it could be advocating for um, this child is not comfortable around this person. This person lives in the home. Therefore, I don't recommend that this child be placed with this okay. family member. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that must be hard to see and watch. Anytime I hear a story about a child who's just under terrible circumstances, it's heart, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, I think the Adlitem is um, a great fit for me because I really get to get to know the kids way more than the caseworker. Mm. Um, I usually try to visit my kids once a week. Um, Sometimes it's every other week, but you get to know them. You get to know the whys and hows of why the relationship and their behaviors and everything versus a caseworker who you know, picks them up, takes them to a new home or says, hey, you got 30 more days here or things like that. Right. So it's it's a different level of relationship that an Adlitem has. And you have how many kids? Um, my cases that? vary. Yeah. Okay. Um, so usually have about three to four okay. um, kids on a case mm-hmm. um, at a time just because I have 10 kids. <laughs> you can take it, as much on as you want <laughs> or as little as you want. Yeah. Um, and But the cases last years and years. So um, when kids turn 18, they automatically lose their guardian. So that's kind of sad, but, um, yeah. we have relationships with them. So they're still able to, you know, text or call or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah. So I, I believe at our, in our church, there was a program that they were talking about, or there was a fundraiser for the number of children who don't have homes mm-hmm. from 15 to 18 years old, I believe. Yeah. And they're couch surfing or yep. living in a friend's house. Yeah. Are you seeing that a lot? Yeah. And a lot of kids in that age category run away. 
from foster care um, because they're often thrown into group homes and, you know, nobody wants to live in a group home. And there's a lot of, um, you know, negative connotations with group homes, particularly for older kids. But in America, there's about 450,000 foster kids um, right now. And that does not account, account for the immigrants, foster children that came in. That was before. Wow. So there's definitely far more than that. But every year... Um, 25,000 age out. So 25,000 lose the funding, the DSS funding, mm-hmm. and then 20,000 are emancipated or run away. So there's okay. about 50,000 kids a year that either are emancipated, run away, or lose DSS funding right. um, with no family. So. And then out of those, let's say, 400,000 remaining, mm-hmm. are the majority of them getting adopted to a family? Um, they're not all adoptable yet. Like some of them are in process of foster care, seeing if they're being reunited, but at least 150,000 are ready to be adopted right now. And the incoming rate is about 250,000 a year go into care. So there's no way we're, we're getting enough adopted to account for how much come in each year. Yeah. Yeah. And in the scenarios where you're adopting all these children, Mm -hmm. are you getting pretty involved in what, what the circumstances are that led to them um, getting there? As an adoptive parent, when you're adopting, now not so much fostering, you're kind of blind when you're fostering. <laughs> they, yeah. just, they tell you, here's a kid, you know, we don't, we know XYZ diseases exist and that's it. And you don't even always get that. And, and they just bring them to your house? Yeah. I, yeah, I've always wondered how that works <laughs> because I, I've looked, I looked on the website and there is essentially just pictures of the children on yeah. the DS, on the heart galleries. Maybe. Yeah. So the heart galleries are children that are legally free. So those kids are ready to be adopted right away. Okay. Um, those kids are also hard to adopt cases there are more kids in the state that are able to but those are the kids they're they're really advocating for because you know they've been trying for a while um which is um where we found our last son as well our 10th so you heart gallery. so you would have seen a picture mm-hmm. and a little blurb underneath yep, that says like loves <laughs> loves drawing and kittens or something totally omits the trauma and the behavior yes everything else, else yeah. about it and then you ju- they're so, hoping you buy the cute face <laughs> and basically from a picture you, you said, make, you all right, that, yeah. yeah. So you make an inquiry and then um, the longer you've been in adoption, the more you learn the code words. Like this child needs an outlet for his energy. You know, like you <laughs> yep. kind of learn the code words or this child would do best as an only child. Like, you know, there's certain behaviors, whether it be, you know, behavior violence or sexually acting out. Like you learn the words when yep. you're inquiring, the more you get into adoption to yep. understand um, what that means. But but yeah, they, you do get, um, after, other than that little tiny two sentences, once you inquire, the caseworker looks at your home study, which you had to have done, yep. um, which includes your biography, everything about your family, mm-hmm. um, your relatives, who's your babysitter's going to be, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then they background those people. Then um, they read it and they say, oh, this might be a good match. And they find like three or four families. And then they have a meeting with all the kids, caseworkers, and everybody involved, and then choose the best fit for that family. And then contact you back. And if you were chosen, then you get more than the two sentences. <laughs> you get um, their psychologicals, because they do require if a child's over five that they have a psychological done. Mm-hmm. Um, you get their psychological, their IEPs. Um, we've never had much luck with the foster families ever communicating with us, but you're supposed to be able to communicate with the foster family to learn more about the child. Oh. Um, that's not been the case. The foster families just... Yeah, Don't a lot answer. of times they're like, oh, he's not on my case anymore. We're done. I mean, I know there's some great foster families out there, but yeah. the ones my kids have come from have not really um, been that experience. Been great. <laughs> so one of my concerns when I was looking at it, or even if my wife and I talk about it, is the idea, and you alluded to this, mm-hmm. of having, say, a 14-year-old who's mm-hmm. um, maybe into drugs, sexually yeah. acting out, mm-hmm. physically violent, and then being around your other children. Yeah. Or even just the idea of, if I have a 14-year-old boy in my house that I haven't met before, yeah. I have to sleep with one eye open <laughs> all night long. Yeah. 
Um, well, it's both. Um, a lot of these kids are just looking to to lay on a couch and you leave them alone. Like, so it's kind of both. Like, let me have my media. But it is different. Every age category has different um, things you have to be aware of. Um, and they are supposed to, there's indicators, like if they are, you know, sexually active, they do disclose that. And oftentimes the kids will just say it. Several really? kids on my case will be like, yeah, you know, I'm fine with this. And I'm like, okay, well, you shouldn't be, but, you know, so, but yeah, they'll, okay. um, yeah. I mean, the priority is to protect your family when you are going through the adoption and foster mm-hmm. process because it is hard and there's a lot of trauma and th- the kids don't usually start showing a lot of that trauma until they start getting attached. Like they kind of shut you off, and then once they're getting attached, then when they start letting you sure. know everything. Interesting. Yeah. So. Okay, so for somebody listening right now who's saying, "Well, what? How do I look for warning signs, and yeah. where do I even start with this?" Can you give them some guidance? Um, I would make sure that you know, make sure that you're comfortable with the age. Like, if you put an age category on it, and you're like, "Hey, I want ten to twelve year olds," and then the caseworker is constantly going, "Oh, here's a fourteen year old, here's a fifteen year old." Make sure you're comfortable and not just desperate to have a placement or something so that you get out of where you felt like you were comfortable. Right. However, at the same time, we went above our category and it turned out to be great. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can go both ways. But uh, as far as the risk behaviors, you pick up on them pretty quick and you can pretty quickly figure out if the child is going to be a good fit. And sometimes you can ask for an emergency placement and be like, hey, can this child be placed with us for you know an emergency placement? And then we'll kind of see how it goes. Or respite, like if you're fostering, you can be a respite family for that child. Okay. And then you kind of can see if you know their behaviors, at the time their behaviors might be fine um, because they call it a honeymoon phase where kids oftentimes will honeymoon and then um, when they finally feel safe, they'll start being who they were before so uh there's a lot different kids we had kids a couple of the kids do the honeymoon phase where they were like picture perfect and you know trying to be picture perfect and then finally a few years later just kind of let it out and then we had other kids who were like you know all filters down let's be as bad as we can be because it depends on their attachment issues um so some of them are attached attachment averse like rad reactive attachment so they will look at you and be like um, I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm not going to let you get close to me. I'm going to make sure all my walls are up. And we had kids start out like that. Mm-hmm. And then we had other kids who started out with, oh, my gosh, I finally have a mom and dad. And then, you know, a couple of years later, be like, oh, why are you doing these rules? And I didn't want a mom and dad type thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it's different per kid. But. Yeah, I, I always think of maybe the rules that we have set out for my own children Mm -hmm. they're easy to follow because we've had them in place since day one this is how you go to bed this is our rules on every that you're not allowed to have the door closed with somebody else in a room all these different rules that we've had Mm -hmm. and then i imagine an eight-year-old or ten-year-old coming in who maybe haven't had any of the rules and trying to figure it out or even having my seven-year-old look at me and say well wait a minute these are all our house rules and this ten-year-old's not following any of the rules yeah um, in our case, because so many of our kids were adopted, every time new ones came in, they would kind of roll their eyes and be like, I remember, you know. So for our kids, it was a little bit different. But I definitely say there's no possible way to parent a child with trauma the way you parented your biological kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not. They're, they have different experiences, they, uh, different upbringing, upbringings, different attachments. Yeah. Um, so our kids know you look different, you act different, you have different needs, you get disciplined differently, you have different roles. And they're all cool with that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Every now and then they'll try to pull the, wait a second, can I get this too? But um, but yeah, for the most part, it's based on every each one of our kids because we do have kids with special needs and we just let them all know, hey, this person might need longer on this or mm-hmm. this person might get an extra time at this and that's mm-hmm. okay. That's and so are they all going to school right now? Yeah, so we kind of work around each kid and their needs. So we have, mm-hmm. um, some of them are homeschooling and then we have two in high school at Spring Valley and then we have two at the Montessori program. Okay. 
in elementary school. So you're homeschooling mm-hmm. based on their needs yeah. probably to be homeschooled mm-hmm. at this time. All of our kids in foster care were held back. So all of them, um, some of them didn't, my, one of my daughters didn't even start school until she was seven, and then she was held back as well. Yeah. So she had a ton of catching up to do. And um, we worked with our homeschool association to help her regain the grades that she had been held back. And yeah. um, it, on top of like being addicted to drugs, like all of our kids were, and their learning disabilities that come up with those things as well. Um, but she still made a honor roll without an IEP at Spring Valley this year. So we were super Wow, proud. that's amazing. <laughs> after retaining her grades, just after homeschooling for three years. Yeah. So, so h- maybe how does how does it work for you that you end up like dressed, showered, <laughs> sleeping? I sleeping because I can't there. even imagine. I still can't even imagine with two kids of my own. Yeah. I can't even imagine what adding another eight on top of that looks yeah. like, and then you know attachment yeah. issues and learning disabilities and all the other components yeah. that come with it. When we first got our kids, I was determined to not let them feel like we needed anything from them. Like, you don't have to do chores. You don't have, like, I was always like, no, I'm the mom. It's my responsibility because these kids are used to feeding themselves, fending for themselves. We had kids hiding food in their pillowcases at night and, you know, sneaking downstairs and, like, filling their socks and shoes up with food. food? Yeah. At what, at what age? Five, six, seven, and really? eight. Really? Yeah. Wow. And all the way up to 10. And then we had kids with a night bag under their pillow every night in case they had to get up and leave in the middle of the night and get, go to a new home that they would have their bag with their favorite item in it. And wow. we were like, you're not leaving. And as much as you say it, it took years for some of them to really get there. But one thing that we noticed that really helped was how do kids feel part of the family? Mm-hmm. Responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. the, a dedication and commitment. So when we do have a chore chart, while I still do a lot of the work and the recorrection of the work, they all have chores every, uh, you know, and not every day, but several days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps them feel a part of it and it you know, gives them responsibility, teaches them what they need. But I think that helps take the burden off me too, since I am doing a lot of right. other things. So that makes sense. It works. Okay. And then financially, what, what does that look like? And how did you guys <laughs> make that work? Because I've talked to a couple people who said, I don't know how I could possibly afford yeah. another another child, let alone another I eight promise children. You, we were probably more poor than anyone listening to this broadcast when we adopted our first child. Okay. So our first child, we sold our car to adopt because we did not. We knew that we felt like God really wanted us to adopt this child. The situation was just on our lap, and wow. we were like, we do not know how to do this. And um, we did our last step that we could do. We couldn't sell our house. So, you know, we sold our car. We're like, we can make do without a car. And then so what, what was that conversation like? You, was it you telling your husband, let's sell our car well, and we had put it toward lawyer. a doctor? No, we had the lawyer saying we had a deadline and it was a Friday deadline at noon. And he's like, if you don't pay me by noon, then the adoption's off. Like we can't okay. proceed unless I've been paid. And, um, it wasn't something that, like I said, that we had saved for and worked for. So we just weren't prepared financially. We had a lot of other things going on. Um, but we sold our car so that we could pay him, we sold it quickly, so it was below value. And then the um, crazy part of the story was somebody we did not know, lo- we were living in apartments so on the third floor, you know, kids see us coming and going, um, came downstairs and said, God wants me to give you my car. And that was our first, okay, we're really supposed to adopt this no kid way. thing. No, for real, we did not know these people. Um, so they gave us their car after we sold ours, and that's how we were uh, able to get, <laughs> get around. Um, so that was our first adoption. So we, in that time, um, that was the one year there was an adoption credit. So there are some financial things that help with adoption. That's good. Yeah. Tell, maybe tell us yeah. how to do that. Private adoptions, um, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> there's really not much that helps with that. Um, but with foster care adoptions, um, there's ta- the tax credit. It's not um, refundable. You can't get money back. But like if you pay into taxes every year, they give you, I think it's 13000 credit a year for five years of the child's life. 
um, right after you okay. adopt them. So that's yeah. for people that are paying into taxes. That's helpful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is a lot of the states, every state is a little bit different, um, have different incentives. Like our girls can go to college for free at tex- in Texas because they were adopted from Texas and they were foster oh. kids for a certain amount of years. Um, so that's available. It has to be a state college. Um, and then oftentimes uh, foster care will have a subsidy. So like if you're a foster parent, you will get a subsidy, to, you know, food, clothing type thing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes um, that subsidy will transfer. Some, usually it's a little less, the adoption, because it's a permanent thing. Um, but most states do that as well. Wow. If the child is under six, they do not because there's waiting lists for, you know, people trying to adopt young children. But it's, Okay. So, yeah, let's talk about that then, because there. The idea that it's difficult mm-hmm. to adopt is kind of true based on your age, age. then. Mm-hmm. So if you want a two-month-old or a three-month-old, yeah. you're up against, yeah. you know, one in a hundred. In South Carolina, there's a 10-year waiting list for kids trying to adopt through foster care, which is a free, yep. um, an infant or a toddler. Wow. So a 10-year waiting, waiting list. For, so basically, the best route that people do is they foster. And then oftentimes the kids that they're fostering will go to permanent placement. Like they will need to be adopted later if they're not. But the agency just doesn't want people, the phrase is foster to adopt. And a lot of parents get really mad at that phrase. Like you're supposed to be hoping to reunify if you're a foster parent. That's what your goal is. Mm -hmm. Um, But if that child can't be reunified, the foster parent usually gets priority to adopt. So in that case, if you're a foster parent, you might be adopting a younger child. But you might have let go of two or three kids that were reunified first. Right. So. So you essentially become part of this child's family, but then they get sent yeah. somewhere else. And sometimes those families you still get to stay in touch with. Like they they build a relationship while they're reunifying, and mm-hmm. then sometimes you're the threat to the family, so they just never see you again. Wow. So it depends on the birth family you're working with. Wow. So. Okay. Yeah, there's the biggest need is teenagers and big sibling groups. That's yep. the biggest. And then in the private adoption world, is it faster? Uh, yes and no. Um, there are a bunch of different routes. You can go straight through a lawyer and just hire an adoption lawyer. Um, there's different agencies um, that specialize in it. But a lot of times the longest part of adoption is getting the home study done and waiting to get your profiles up on web pages mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's usually like one or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really kind of – it really depends. Sometimes families with no kids get matched first. And a lot of times people looking – like the one that asked us to adopt her child, she wanted someone that had already been a parent. And so some people will wait. Well, I don't want that couple. They don't, you know, it's just kind of dependent on the birth mother, what she's choosing. Yes. So. so the birth mother does have quite a say in who the person goes to. In private agencies. Okay. Oftentimes, and sometimes they'll say, I don't want to choose, you choose. But oftentimes um, the families will make booklets and then the, she can go through booklets and read about their information and yep. choose if she wants an open or a closed adoption. Yep. Um, our birth mom, actually, um, my first son, wanted a closed adoption. And that means no contact, no communication, no pictures that fall off the face of the earth, basically. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just couldn't imagine it. I was just like, I, I had a child, and I was like, I cannot imagine this. So for two years, I sent emails to her email box that we had been communicating on, and she never responded back to me. And then on his third, right about his third birthday, she wrote me back. And she was like, I'm so glad. I, I need this much time to heal, but I'm so glad you wrote me back. And then, wow. Yeah. And so from three on, we, you know, we make sure we see her every year. She used to live closer. So we used to see her every few months, but yep. now she lives farther. So I'm trying to remember what movie it was where they, the two guys were, were sentenced to like community service and they had to go with the two adopt. Um, I guess it was foster care. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah. anyways, they're, they're two, two guys who just didn't like have a lot of purpose and then they end up doing community service and they're almost like foster parents for these kids and they go through a lot of the issues, but then it's interesting to see 
how as the kids open up and as it changes, yeah. how it changes them as well yeah. while they're doing it. So I guess in your relationship or your life, what are you finding has changed for you or I, in you? Maybe? I think that adoption, a lot of people act like it's kind of what they're getting out of. Like I want to adopt. And I think that when you actually adopt, the whole perspective changes and it's not about what you want. It's not, it's really, you start yeah. really making it about the child, which Sounds like an obvious thing, but oftentimes people enter adoption saying, I want to adopt, I want a baby or a toddler, mm-hmm. I want to do this thing. Um, and it's not like anyone's maybe having a savior complex, but that's kind of how it comes across. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you adopt, you realize you know, it's so real and so personal and just like, it's nothing to do with you. Um, you're fixing problems you didn't cause, you know, and yeah. even though you're this child's parent, you know, there's a parent without their child at their home that right. night. And so there's a lot of loss no matter how much love is there, the loss doesn't disappear. No matter how yeah. much, you know, hugs and kisses you give, the trauma is still in their mind and they can still remember things you wish you could take away. So I think that if anything, it helps you realize the depth of, you know, what trauma does, you know, what, yeah. how, how kids survive and, you know, make it through and kind of give them the goals and the hope. And I think that, that that's a big thing that we felt like with our kids is um, coming from our own dysfunctional life was hope. Like these kids gave us hope when really we thought we were giving them hope and they gave us a lot of hope. So so cool. So now you're at 10. Mm -hmm. What was the point where you decided you needed a massive (laughs) 15 seater van? Um, Well, okay. So our girls, when we were, we went from five to eight, um, we were in a different house and we did not have a big enough van, but we had smaller vehicles and the agency that we were using said that we, before they would finalize the adoption, they waited till the girls were placed with us before telling us that we could not finalize unless we had a vehicle that we could all fit in. So then we scrambled to get a vehicle, but we, we sold our other vehicles to get that vehicle to be able to fit us all in one. Um, and it ended up being, you know, really great timing because we had just sold. We had, Every time we adopted siblings, we had to change houses. And thankfully, my husband's really handy, and he, you know, fixes and builds things, so we made a profit off each house. So um, we had just moved into the new house when we had adopted the girls, and um, it still wasn't big enough because we thought we were adopting one girl, so we were moving. And so we lived there for about a year um, and then made a profit off of again and then moved to the next house. Um, But during that time, that's when we we bought the van. And I'd imagine if you're moving that many children and yourselves, there's so much stuff. Yeah, it was something that at first I was like, oh, we can't move them because they've already been moved a thousand times. Like some of our kids had been to eight schools in two years, Mm -hmm. you know. And so we were like, we can't move them. But, you know, for them, it was kind of I think that every step that we moved was a little bit making them feel a more and more part of our family, Mm -hmm. kind of forgetting like when I first came in this this room and this, you know, so there was a lot of that. It was healthy, but um, moving has, you know, has been great. Nobody's had any negative reactions to it. But I think we're stuck for where we're staying now. (laughs) You're staying at 10 at the moment. (laughs) So if somebody's listening to this and they want to help out in some way, mm-hmm. what does it look like for them to help out? What are the options? Yeah, there are so many ways. Um, if you're not equipped or feel like fostering is not for you, because fostering is a huge need, because a lot of these kids can go back to their families. And then some of them go back to their families for most of them. You know, the, all the ones we adopted went back and forth, birth family, foster care, birth family, foster care for several years. So there's the fostering, there's adopting, there's supporting fostering, adopting, adoptive parents, um, date nights, or, you know, hey, do you need your kid to get, I can drop them off at soccer or whatever, just because we have, you know, a thousand directions for sports mm-hmm. and things like that. So, um, or tutoring, because like I said, all these kids are really behind in um, education. So mm-hmm. like, hey, do you want me to come over and help on the weekend or just read with them? Or just, you know, spending a little extra time, like a lot of our kids, um, when they came to us, had a lot of behavior challenges. So play dates were like, 
very monitored. It was like, okay, let me watch and make sure he doesn't hit or kick or push or, you know, say something mean. So like having friends that understand, you know, we're going to try this play date. It's going to be trial. I apologize in advance for anything that he does. <laughs> you know, like, And you're sitting there trying to have a play date and enjoy yourself, but you want your kid to experience playing, you know? Yeah. So having people that can even just understand, you know, that it might not go the way that you normally have play dates, but just being willing to do that is yeah. really important. Yeah. So. And what if they want to, is there a, organization i know you mentioned the nonprofit. if they could give money or they can donate clothing yeah. or they can donate a car or whatever they yeah. feel like they need to donate yeah um heartfelt calling is the branch in south carolina it's okay. where you reach out to foster or adopt um but they also have a ton of programs like they have christmas programs um to sponsor kids because a lot of foster kids um the parents that they're staying with, they don't buy them gifts. They wait for the agency to do it. And we have several kids that never got Christmas gifts before all of our kids, actually, before we adopted them. Really? Um, so, like, just there's different ways you can give gifts or donate things. There's um, the teen pregnancy foster kids. So they're always looking for cars and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, basically Heartfelt Calling is a really great connection for that. Yes. Cool. All right. And then kind of in closing, tell us about what your favorite things in Columbia are and why you've decided to stay here. <laughs> Well, I hated Columbia when we first moved here. Where did um, where were you before? Well, we were on, on um, near in CIU, North um, but it was oh, yeah. on okay. the back side of it, and yep. it was just very isolating. So yeah. I was like, I don't want to be here. Okay. Um, but then when we hit the northeast side, I liked it a lot better. Okay. Um, so, yeah, um, I I like that they offer things for families a lot, and I like that everything's – we're in a location where everything's really pro close proximity, yeah. um, whether it be for health or, you know, doctors or spe specialist therapists, you know, sports and all that. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess all of it. All of it. Cool. All right. Well, we appreciate you um, sharing. If anybody wants to reach out, do you have a, I know you have a um, Facebook page or is there an adoption yeah. group that you're part of or that where they can reach out? Um, my email, maybe. Your email? Right if yeah. you're comfortable with yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Um, so Rebecca and it's spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H 1516 at gmail.com. Okay. That's great. Well, we appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. All the best. All right. Bye. Here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it.